0: to Hotel Bar Sessions, the podcast where three philosophers sit down at the end of a long conference day to chop it up at the hotel bar, which, as we all know, is where the real philosophy happens.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Hotel Bar Sessions. I'm Rick Lee, and as usual, I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Liam Johnson and Dr. Charles Peterson. We love you, Charles. (laughs) Oh, yes, we do. (laughs) In other words, we're announcing for the first time in this episode that Charles is not going to be joining us in next season due to other commitments that he has. And so today, we're going to send him off in style. (laughs) Yeah. Make sure to put dollar coin in my pocket before you close the (laughs) casket.
0: (laughs) That's right. That's right.
1: But before we do that, Noel is offering to buy you a drink, Charles, this week. And we want to know whether you're ranting or raving.
2: Thank you, Noel. This is fantastic. I will accept your offer of a free drink. Finally. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) These aren't cheap prices. But I will have three fingers of Milagro Ooh, tequila. Three fingers. That's right. I'm going out with a splash. <laughs> I am raving today about the Netflix documentary Rumble.
0: <laughs>
2: Rumble is an amazing piece of work that looks at the Native American influence in American popular music, mm. ranging from gospel to blues to rock and roll and to folk It's an amazing insight into the ways in which what we assumed were exclusively African-based forms and practices actually are identifiable as Native American. A great example is that Charlie Patton, the legendary Delta blues man who taught Son House how to play, who taught Howlin' Wolf how to play, Charlie Patton was Native American. Oh, Yeah, it was amazing. A lot of Native Americans, to escape persecution, would blend into African-American communities which shows you how shitty it was to be Native American if you were hiding among black people for safety. So, I mean, it's an amazing documentary. It's on Netflix. Please watch it. It's amazing music. It's great sounds. And it just opens up this whole new way of thinking about the music of America.
1: And Lee, what about you? Um, I'll buy you a drink. Noelle is not offering you one, but I'll buy you a drink. And so what are you drinking and are you ranting or raving?
0: Well, first of all, I will also accept a free drink. And in honor of Charles, I'm going to have a margarita made with Tito's today. (laughs) Tito's, call us. (laughs) It's your last chance. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) Today, I'm actually raving about meditation in virtual reality. (laughs) So I know this will come as no surprise to either of you, but I am not a big mindfulness person. (laughs) I don't don't usually meditate, but I got an app that comes with the meta quest to VR headset. That's called Trip. And it's this immersive meditative experience. You can choose from different Modes of it. So there's focus, calm, or compose. And it takes you through this trippy sort of world. I mean, it is a lot like tripping, if any of you have ever done that. It really has been very helpful for me. And I'm reevaluating my evaluation of meditative practices thanks to Trip. We'll put a link to the app in our show notes, but I do really recommend everybody check it out. Rick, what about you? What are you drinking? I'm not buying your drink, but what are you drinking and what are you? (laughs) You ranting or raving about this week? I will have a
1: Paloma, please, and I'll have the same tequila that Charles requested, and I'll have a beer back as well. It's just one of those days. (laughs) (laughs) This week, I am raving about the African lion cub, Pili Pili. So, back on March 15th, a lion cub was born at Lincoln Park Zoo here in Chicago. And recently, I had the opportunity to go to the zoo And see this lion cub. And since I have seen this, I've been trying to find a way to get that thing to my house. It is the (laughs) cutest thing I have seen in a long, long, long time, except for my (laughs) co-hosts. So I am raving about pili pili, which is the Swahili word, by the way, for pepper. So when you say you want to get pili pili back to your house by any means necessary, are you saying
2: that you need a new throw rug? Maybe like a bath mat? I'm just trying to... No. Get a sense of what
1: exactly Pilly Pilly's role would be in your household. (laughs) No, to quote one of the old Warner Brothers cartoons, and I will hug him and love him and squeeze him and hug him and love him. (laughs) Well done.
0: All right, Rick, so this is a sad day for both of us because we're saying goodbye to Charles on this episode, but you want to give us a kind of idea of how we're going to do this?
1: Yeah, so we're really sad to be losing Charles as a co-host. To be clear, we're not losing him as a friend. We're just losing him as a co-host. But, you know, we've put together, the three of us, some really outstanding seasons, So we thought we'd peek a little bit behind the curtain. We'll talk about what we have done together as a team. Perhaps Charles will share with us a little bit about what he has in mind for the future, any projects that he has in the works, including both books and children. (laughs) And by the way, Lee and I are just not acknowledging that Charles is leaving. We're just going to (laughs) say Charles is on hiatus. So, this week we're going to devote the podcast to celebrating Charles and really the three of us as a team. We're going to mark some of his contributions and then we'll say adieu.
0: Charles. So as you look back on your long podcasting history with us, these last four seasons, what really stands out to you as most memorable? What are you most proud of?
2: Oh, that's a tough one. And it's not like I wasn't prepared for this, but (laughs) actually in terms of episodes, there are two or three. I always go back to the second season, our first season together and the guns episode. And I Mm. think we developed a really great relationship. We bonded together. We found that we vibed in a really good way But I think that episode was the one where we realized that there was an amazing possibility for passionate and engaged debate, but we could still hold it together and still maintain the vibe. And I think once we realized that could happen, I think I feel like I relaxed a bit more in terms of how I could be and how I could think and how I could engage conversations and debates. So the guns one, it opened a door for me in terms of thinking about the possibilities of what we're doing. Another thing that stood out for me as memorable was the Charles McKinney episode. Yeah. 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 I think was really really fantastic.
0: I have a funny story about that episode, which I reminded (laughs) Charles McKinney of just a couple of weeks ago when we were having a drink. There's a section of that episode where I asked him, what's the difference between the January 6th rioters who are breaking the law and people who sat in at lunch counters who are breaking the law, who both think that they're acting in the name of the right. And he said, well, the difference is is that the people who sat down at those lunch counters knew that they were breaking the law and knew that they were going to suffer the consequences of it. And he's like, meanwhile, you have these January 6th people rolling up into the Capitol with their cell phones on, posting it on Facebook, and then they're shocked and fucking amazed <laughs> when the FBI shows at their house to arrest them. And I have not since been able to stop saying shocked and fucking amazed. <laughs>
2: Chuck McKinney, if you know Chuck McKinney, he is a mile a minute thinker and speaker. And he just says hilariously brilliant things all the time. Yeah. I love that episode because it showed us that we could be very timely and timeless at the same time.
0: Yeah. Mm. Right.
2: They were responding to very specific events, but we were able to tap into the larger themes and questions that those events revealed. So that was like lots of fun. Plus, it was just funny just talking to him and the way he just melded right into our vibe. I mean, every recording has been really amazing. Oh, I would say this is one of my favorite moments. I think it had to be when we were talking about the simulation
0: hypothesis. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. It was just like... I fucked you around and now I'm about to find out. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was
2: about me. One thing that I've enjoyed, and certainly as we've talked about questions around AI and social media, what I've enjoyed is having to learn how to be humble and be like, oh, I don't know what the is going on with mm. this. This is a little outside of my wheelhouse. And so initially realizing I was getting defensive because I didn't know what the fuck was going on. And then later on being like, no, sit down, shut up and learn something. You know what I'm saying? Those moments I enjoyed as well when I was like, oh, I don't have a snappy retort for this. or you know, I don't have a brilliant insight to just pull out of my butt for this. Rick calling me a slow four-year-old was a watershed moment.
1: For some reason, I came into that episode like fucking Don Rickles. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs>
2: you were hot. You were so hot that episode. I was like, oh, let me just sit down in the corner and shut the hell up.
0: <laughs> All right, Eric, what about you? What were some of your most memorable moments with Charles? Well, one of the things that I so
1: appreciate about Charles is that not only do you, Charles, bring some serious theoretical chops— But you often have some of the most poetic turns of phrase. Oh my God, so true. You have a way of naming a concept that is both beautiful, but also gets right to the point. Mm -hmm. So you hit it right on the nail in the utopia episode by focusing in on exactly what kind of utopia you find theoretically interesting and separating that out just by a turn of a phrase. And so thinking back, you often bring something like that that I think, wow, that is something I'm going to have to think about for a long time. The other thing, and again, this is more abstract, and I'm sorry this might be as much about Charles as it is about whatever the chemistry is that happens between the three of us. We kind of just from the beginning slipped into a rapport that our listeners have commented to me. They can feel it. They feel like they really have slipped into a conversation among friends at a bar I think the ease of our friendship is something that I really appreciate and I think has helped us, to go back to your point, Charles, about the guns episode, it's really helped us have serious conversations about things which we disagree. And I love the fact that we sometimes say, I could not disagree more, and that's (laughs) totally fine.
0: One of the things I really appreciate about Charles coming onto this podcast is that he has expanded what I thought this podcast could be so much. I think that in season one, I had a relatively narrow idea of what a philosophy podcast is and what a philosophy podcast would do. But Charles has just brought so many great ideas about not only topics we could cover, but the Charles McKinney episode that he just mentioned was the first time we ever had a guest on the podcast. and. This season has been mostly guests. And I think that this is part of Charles's fundamentally interdisciplinary approach to philosophy, that we need to be talking outside of the strict confines of our discipline. And I'm so glad that he brought that to Hotel Bar Sessions. Sign up. But if I had to pick a few favorite (laughs) episodes illustrating this, I really am appreciative of Charles insisting that we have an episode on superheroes. I mean, this is something I don't give a shit about, right? I don't know anything about comics, but I learned so much in that episode. He was the one that came up with the idea of doing an episode on vulgarity, which is maybe one of my favorite episodes ever. It was just hilarious and so much fun, but honestly gave me a concept that I did not have going into that episode he was has has been a constant source of joking among the three of us off air He was the one who absolutely insisted for two whole seasons that we do an episode on The Godfather. And I kept saying, no, I don't want to do it because I don't want to spend nine hours watching The Godfather again. No,
2: that was Rick too. Yeah. That was Rick as well.
0: (laughs) But, you know, that really was weirdly one of our best episodes and one of our most philosophically interesting episodes. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't even about philosophy. It was about, well, it was about The Godfather, but it was about so many other things. Mm-hmm. But if I could just pick out one kind of really special moment that I had with Charles that just sticks with me. It was on our episode of music, which I'm not even sure which season that was in. But Charles and I had this kind of bonding moment over our childhood experiences with altar calls. Mm. And, yeah. <laughs> and Rick said, I don't know what this is. Can you describe this to me? And what is the kind of music that is involved in that? And Charles and I just were like, yeah, we totally can. Let's do it and that was that was one of those moments where I think yeah Charles and I have a connection at levels that probably even we can't describe.
2: Oh yeah, well you know it's growing up in Baptist churches that are deeply immersed in Southern culture and music. You know, that's it. And music. Yeah. Well, I can't think of one without the other. Yeah,
0: right. Sayers. If
2: if your church is not singing, I'm not sure God is present. (laughs) It's my (laughs) way of thinking about it. (laughs) Preach. We've had some amazing episodes, but I think the episode on bars was just perfect, Mm. right? Because it really got us to think about the space in which we imaginatively exist in on the podcast. And we could see all the ways that bars function with the society, the cultural elements, like personally, what we all gather from being in bars. Every time I listen to that, I think, man, put this fucker and blast it out into the universe so when aliens encounter us, they'll know where to come and hang out and find the best of humanity.
1: (laughs) I totally want to hang out in an alien bar. Right. The place on Tatooine.
0: (laughs) If I could just return for a second to Rick's point about how good you are at bringing a perspective that is so unique and at the same time enlightening. There are a couple of episodes that stand out and a couple of perspectives that stand out to me. And the episodes are the episode on optimism and pessimism from Mm -hmm. season three, and then the episode on Utopia from season four, which unfortunately I wasn't able to participate in because I had covid but I think I learned so much from those episodes. I think Charles has a very nuanced understanding of optimism and pessimism and an absolutely surgical way of separating where he is going to be optimistic and where he is going to be pessimistic <laughs> and how those affects are going to interact with one another in those areas. That was just brilliant Charles, you were brilliant in both of those episodes. And in the Utopia episode, again, so sorry I couldn't be there for that conversation. But that was the first time since this podcast has started that I was actually just a listener on the podcast. And I thought, hell yeah, I would listen to these two guys talk. You know what they need? They just need a fast-talking dame. That's all they need. (laughs)
1: fast-talking dame with good gams. You know what? I I feel like if I had to have a Rosalind Russell, (laughs) she would be you. (laughs) Oh, bless your heart. Not to embarrass you too much, Charles, but- Too late. (laughs) To follow up on Lee's point, I've really come to see that one of the threads you draw through Almost any topic, whether it is in fact AI or social media or the simulation hypothesis, but then going to things like Utopia and even The Godfather, you have a philosophical point about the political need for optimism, Mm -hmm. because in the absence of a certain kind of optimism and a projection of a certain kind of future, it makes political change Impossible. That is, a kind of negativity is something that one could just wallow in and say, oh my God, things are awful. We're just screwed forever. And I think you constantly are saying, wait a second, if we stick with that, we're not going to work toward the future. So let's start getting busy. And that means a certain kind of hope, a certain kind of progressive vision of the future. And I really do think that's a perspective you bring. We all know that I am pessimistic philosophically. And so I like you giving me a bit of an antidote to that.
0: I totally agree. And I think that that perspective is informed by another perspective of Charles that I find that he brings to a lot of episodes where I wouldn't have thought that this would have emerged. Charles, you have a belief in... Well, we covered this a little bit in our Transcendence episode and our Immortality episode and our Memory episode. But you have an implicit belief that humanity is not all there is, that there's something else, but also that there are things about humanity that point towards that something else Mm. and ultimately that that something else and the directionality between humanity and whatever that something else is, that transcendent, immortal, maybe something else, that that's a positive relationship, a relationship to be optimistic about. That's,
2: that's surprising to hear, certainly considering how resistant I was to Rick's discussion of metaphysics. <laughs> 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 but by, by the end of that episode, you made me realize, oh, there is a metaphysics about the way I'm thinking and approaching the world. So thank you for that. I just want the listeners to know, that I'm not an egomaniac, (laughs) and all of these beautiful, fantastic things that my friends are saying about me are deeply embarrassing to me. Deeply so. I'm not used to being at the center of attention like this. Well,
0: I've already cashed the check that
2: you sent me, so it's fine. (laughs) Look, this is my moment of humility. I'm trying to sell this thing. (laughs) I don't want listeners to think I'm sitting here like the god emperor of Dune with like fans and people popping grapes in my mouth and I'm saying, yes, bring the compliments. I deserve them. So
1: now you raise another thing (laughs) that for me was very surprising in coming to know you both on the podcast. And off the podcast, I never expected you to be as deeply nerdy as you are.
0: <laughs> such a nerd! He's such the kids a nerd. That got beat up on the such playground
2: like in elementary school. Yeah, they were kicking my ass.
0: <laughs> so, since we're in this moment right here, I think it's probably a good point to talk about how funny this podcast has been and how hilarious it's been to work with both of you so i do want to kind of go round the horn here and ask you charles first and then you rick second what are some of the funniest you know greatest moments of this podcast over the last four seasons for you
2: oh off the top of my head realizing that move the cat is is rife (laughs) It's an idea, it's a term, it's a concept that's rife with meaning.
0: Okay, wait, you got to explain that for the
2: listeners. It is a floating signifier. For the listeners, that reference is to the fact that Lee has a pet cat and the cat comes into the field of vision when we're recording for YouTube. And so she always has to move the cat. But then sometimes we'll take a break in the midst of that. And the idea of move the cat (laughs) has been applied to other situations, shall we say? And we'll leave it at that. (laughs) But every time we... Makes reference to Lee moving her cat. I'm done. I'm absolutely
0: done. Yeah, I think this started one time in a break when I said, I have to go to the bathroom. And while I was gone, Charles was like, yeah, she's just moving her cat.
1: (laughs) That sticks out in my head. I didn't have the chance to listen back to all the seasons we have done together. And so it's hard for me to pinpoint exactly these moments. But I do know there have been two moments where I have... Have just lost my shit. (laughs) And I was laughing so hard, I could not stop. And Lee left one of those in, I think it was in season two, so our first season together. And so you get like a full 20 seconds of me laughing uncontrollably. (laughs) But many of those moments where I just lose it have come at Charles in, you know, a transition, a small break, you know, someone ends a point and someone begins and Charles will just drop a line in there. Yeah. And often I just can't go on. I cannot go on. To be honest, that's my favorite. You losing your shit? (laughs)
0: That's why we
2: do this. That's why we do this. The (laughs) full-throated laughter of a fucking bon vivant. I love it. (laughs) This is how a gentleman enjoys life.
0: (laughs) You know, I agree. I do think a lot of these really hilarious moments with us happen in the interstitial moments. That don't actually get aired on the episode. So yes, the move my cat thing is a long running (laughs) joke that we've had for a long time. Whenever we take bathroom breaks (laughs) on our recording. (laughs) One other thing that happens off air, or it doesn't happen off air, but it sometimes happens and gets edited out of the episodes. Is that Charles has this habit, which I think both Rick and I find hilarious of starting to talk, and as someone is about to come in with the next point, Charles will be like, no, 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 wait, before I forget this point.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and to peek more behind the curtain, we have this agreed upon symbol that if you want to be the next one to speak, we raise our hand. And often Charles will say, Okay, I know you want to talk, but I'm going to forget this.
0: <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> yep. But in terms of on-air Charles' hilariousness, two of my favorites are the fact that Charles makes literally endless fun of me for asking for definitions of things. Right. <laughs> <laughs> He's come to start calling this the Johnsonian question when I'm like, so what do you mean by transcendence? So what do you mean by vulgarity? And that is something that I've unfortunately realized is just a character trait of mine. <laughs> (laughs) So he's absolutely right to make fun of it. But another thing that happens on air frequently that I love is Charles's laughter. Mm. The warmest, most infectious laughter that I've ever heard in my whole life. And so the fact that he's funny and he thinks he's funny makes it so great for all of the rest of us. Well,
1: and I love the nuances. So he has the laughter that really could just be spelled. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And that sounds both devious, but also it's just like, it's funny. I'm just going to let you know it's funny. And then he has the full long
0: laughter. The
2: yeah. yeah. It seems to me that if I'm saying funny things and I'm not laughing, I'd look like a complete sociopath.
1: So <laughs> the laughter is to, to give you a facade of my humanity. Well, I told you that Lee <laughs> tried to make an AR Charles to go on with the podcast as a team. Oh, yeah, that's right. But the problem is that Charles never laughed. <laughs> hey, we couldn't hear you while you were shouting into your headphones. So if you have feedback or suggestions for future topics, or if you just want to pick a fight with one of our co-hosts, or in fact, all of us, just visit us at www.hotelbarpodcast.com and click on the interactive page. If you want to belly up to the bar with us, at least virtually, you can always email an audio clip to hotelbarpodcast at gmail.com. If it's interesting, we're going to steal it from you. If it's not, we'll send you our Venmo handles and you can virtually buy us a drink.
2: So all of these things that the two of you are saying to me and about me, aside from feeling very meta, are very sweet, but it also feels like being at your own funeral. <laughs> it feels like sitting in that chair, shut up, shutting up, and listen to what we well, got to say. We have not yet come to the airing of grievances. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You're softening me up. You're adding some sweetness. And then we get the bitter later on.
0: Yeah, but, you know, Charles, you're the kind of person who I think should be at your own funeral. People don't get to hear all the good things that people say about them at their funeral. And I know that previously you said there are some people who we should absolutely not say good things about them at their funeral. I think you called it the funereal truth teller.
2: Oh, I want to leave money in my will to where someone shows up. They have really elaborate robes. They have a staff. Yes. Bonk. Bonk! hear ye, hear ye. <laughs> this motherfucker right here. Yeah. And then that commences. Yeah. You're saying such fantastic things. And I have to say, these episodes, this time spent with both of you, have been amazingly expansive for me emotionally and certainly intellectually. I see myself as a drunken prize <laughs> fighter, a drunken club fighter of a philosopher. <laughs> it's a little sloppy the technical capabilities are a little loose but there's just lots of enthusiasm and effort and so sitting here with the two of you for ooh, 60 episodes uh, has been a tremendous yeah four times 15 and for the listeners we're not mathematicians
0: <laughs> there he goes again you did we just lost rick <laughs> Oh, this is another great thing about Charles when he says that people have slipped off their bar stools. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. We're sitting on the floor next to that damn footrail and we're going at it. Right. But no, the friendship is paramount. That's what I love about this. So to the listener, yes, I'm stepping off the pod, but hopefully I am not stepping out of the lives of Lee and of Rick. That will continue on beyond me just being a listener to the pod, but certainly engaging. And, you know, when I'm in Chicago, the next time in Memphis, hanging out, all that good friendship stuff. But I feel like I've become a better philosopher Hmm. because of the range of topics and readings that the two of you have exposed me to. And I think... You know, I tease you about the Johnsonian question, Lee, but I take it very seriously, because you do what a philosopher should do. Let us set our terms first before we move off into the wilderness. Doing that so helps to guide and make this experience, I hope, of listening to us really accessible and beneficial for the listeners. So that's one thing I love about that. And... Rick, you're fucking Captain Rigger. (laughs) (laughs) And that is not a euphemism, people. (laughs) His superpower is stiffness. (laughs) Yeah, dude, nickname is Rigger Morty. In terms of the precision and the meticulous way in which you're able to address the issues and the topics, I always think that is the type of philosopher I wanted to be. That level of surgicality is what I've always desired to be. Like, I'm sloppy, I'm loose, a little too organic and gritty. But I picked up so much of that from you and from Lee. It's definitely made me a better thinker
1: and how I approach and what are the questions I ask. I, I mean, to use one of our podcast tropes... I couldn't disagree more (laughs) in that one of the things that I worry about most often is that pursuit of rigor is preventing me in particular, but other philosophers as well, from actually being expansive and going Mm -hmm. for an idea that maybe you don't know exactly the way there, but you're charting new territory. You're going out in front. And I appreciate that and you, and my rigor will never get us there. My rigor is always going to say, but wait a second, how do those two things go together? So I appreciate what you said, but I think if you became more rigorous, then something would be seriously lost.
0: But speaking about charting new territories and going out there in front, Charles, what's coming from you? Do you have any specific projects that you're working on that we can get excited about if you're willing to share them?
2: Oh, yeah. Presently, I am working on a proposal for an introductory text to Africana philosophy that would serve as a broad and general discussion of the field for undergraduates. I'm very excited about that, and I'll be trying to get that to the publisher pretty soon. So that's the next major project. I've been thinking about, and I started taking notes a few days ago on a paper looking at and this is the good thing about being a philosopher, you can just make words up. And if you can get five people at a conference to nod their heads during your presentation, it sticks. <laughs> so I'm working on this idea of what I'm trying to phrase as aesthetic the formation of one's character through creative work, mm. Mm. right? How do we see the human? How do we manifest the human in ourselves through various types of creative aesthetic practices? So started taking notes on that. And the second essay I want to write is looking at the absurd and irrationality within African-American aesthetic practices. So much of the work that our creative artists do is expected to be or linked to a certain degree of social realism, Mm -hmm. materialism, necessarily overt political debate and argument. And I think there are some deeply unconscious and irrational elements about African-American life and culture that just don't get explored. Mm. So those are the big projects, two essays, and hopefully this monograph, if the
1: publisher likes the proposal.
2: (laughs) So that's where my future
1: is headed. I, for one, would really be excited about that last project for a number of reasons. One is because I've always appreciated your sensitivity to art, broadly speaking, Music in particular, I've learned an awful lot from you, but I see this now linking up with your political interests because for groups that have been or continue to be the subject of domination, often one of the things robbed from them is joy. The dominant culture often is incredibly suspicious of, for example, black joy or queer joy and to celebrate, you know, some of this is just for fun. Right. We're just fucking around. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I think is also incredibly politically powerful.
0: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that intro to African-American studies coming from you as well. One of the things I was thinking about in advance of this episode was what I would like to see from you in the future. (laughs) I've learned so much from you already, but I think that I've seen a lot of things emerge as somebody who talks to you every week. Definitely consistent themes in your thought that I would like to see you write a book about or an article or, I don't know, give a lecture about. And if I could, these are the things that I would love to hear from you <laughs> in the future. These are not assignments, but. <laughs> Wait, let me let me take notes.
2: <laughs> I'm, no, literally, I'm writing these down.
0: But I do think that you have a implicit, but as yet undefined, or da- well, of course I said undefined, unfleshed out <laughs> notion of what humanity is. And in Uh particular, what humanity means within the humanities. And I think that over the course of many episodes, I mentioned some of them earlier, the episode on transcendence, the episode on immortality, the episode on memory, you keep coming back to certain inherent, to use your words, traits or capabilities or capacities of humans that I would really just like to hear what that is. I'd love to hear what you think humanity is, and in particular, the relationship between your concept of humanity and the humanities as an enterprise. That's one thing. Okay. Second thing is I'd love to see you write on interdisciplinarity. I think that you are one of the most insightful and nuanced people I've ever met when you talk about what interdisciplinary work is. And then finally, again, I keep saying this, but I wasn't there for the episode, but you need to write a book on utopia. Yes. Seriously. You need to write a book on utopic visions. I think that that combines so many things that I find absolutely intriguing about your thought generally, not only the political dimension of your thought and the humanistic dimension of your thought, but also your way of thinking about optimism and pessimism, about critique and orthodoxy, I think that you really have a lot to offer there. And if I saw a book by you on Utopia, I would buy it and teach it.
1: Yeah. And I don't know how much you want to say, Charles, about this introduction you're writing, but I've lately discovered, I wish I could say rediscovered, but I just discovered a very early essay by Cornell West called philosophy and the afro-american experience as far as i could tell i think he was 25 when he wrote this essay and one of the things i appreciated is he lays out three or four main directions that africana philosophy has taken and is taking in 1973 I would love for you to produce something to sort of update that. Like, what oh. are some of the main trends? And the reason why I say this is because I hear certain resonances in those consistent themes that I think Lee was just pointing out, certain resonances with thinkers like Cornell West, like Eddie Gloud, And that goes back to this issue of utopia and optimism and hope that is in stark contrast to other visions that one can find in the current Africana philosophy. And so I would love to hear you go Johnsonian on on the field (laughs) and, and sort of lay it out and tell us what the main trends are and so on.
2: Well, coming from the both of you, that's quite a compliment. And now I'm actually very interested in these topics. I hadn't thought about thinking extensively about the question of utopia or utopic visions, but yeah, maybe it sounds to go back and re-listen to the episode. Well, we we discussed that. That was a great, that was lots of fun. That was lots of fun. We missed you though, Lee, we really did. Because our (laughs)
1: basic premises were just so fuzzy. Yeah. Yeah. But Charles, to go back to the other thing Lee mentioned, as she was saying this, it did suddenly strike me that I do think you have an idea of what constitutes the human or humanity. Have you thought about this, but you just haven't? us? Or is it something that just in thinking about this and that and various topics, it's sort of emerged? I do think about it a lot. I have thought about this
2: and I've thought about writing something exploring the notion of the human. I find myself drawn to works that address the topic, try to look at it from different perspectives, historically speaking, culturally speaking. So maybe I will. I mean, who knows? Maybe there is a genealogy of African-American notions of the human that can be discovered. So yeah, it's at the center of my political concerns. I do, I really think about what that means, how it manifests itself, what are the possibilities of it. You know, one of the things I've loved about working with the two of you is what you've allowed me to see about myself. And Rick, when you named me as philosophically optimistic and personally pessimistic. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm the opposite. (laughs) (laughs) You're the opposite. And I thought, wow, he actually kind of nails that. That's me, I feel seen. But hearing that really helps me to understand some of the feelings, some of the thoughts, some of the ideas that I get as I consider political possibilities. And so, the idea of the possibility of the betterment of our civilization, of our society moving into the future, all rely upon the idea of who are we. Mm. We have to understand Mm. that first before we can attend to these other questions that manifestly will come or derive from that initial point of who we are. What do we become? How do we do things? What's the end goal? If there is an end goal for all of this. So, yeah, I do think about the question of what makes human human. Mm.
0: So this is not so much a question about your philosophy or your theoretical commitments, but following up on that idea of being surprised by things that have happened in our conversations. I'm just curious, looking back over the last four seasons, what about podcasting in general and maybe even podcasting with Rick and I? came as a surprise to you. In other words, were there aspects that you didn't foresee?
2: Oh, it took me a long time to get used to listening to my own voice. (laughs) That was, no, seriously, like the first three or four episodes, I was like, I I sound like that. Oh, that's awful. Because in my mind, I sound like Barry White.
0: To, you sound like Barry White in my actual ears. So. Yeah, me
2: too. <laughs> what was a surprise was the ability of the three of us to work in such a natural rhythm. Yeah. Our ability to actually capture conversations versus, you know, each one of us has a 10 minute lecture that we give and then the next person moves on. And I thought it would kind of function like a weird formal debate, but it doesn't. So that was surprising. What also was surprising was the forum's ability to reach out and bring people into the world of philosophy in a way where they didn't have to have an official membership card Mm. to enter, which is what I love. I've always said that one thing I love about the podcast is that we're not trying to teach anybody anything. Right. We're having a conversation, but we structure the conversation in such a way where it's open and accessible to anybody. And the fact that we accomplished that was surprising. The fact that we've done 60 episodes together
0: (laughs) (laughs) and and consistently. That's surprising, really, to all of us.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You know, but that speaks to the incredibly hard work that you and Rick do talk about peeking behind the curtains, right? There's technical aspects of all of this that the listener may not know about and you two do that work brilliantly and keep this thing chugging down the road. Mostly Lee. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody has a part. That's we're right. All, we're all players. We all have a part. That's right. But the fact that we've continued to have amazing conversations, choose what I think to be really great topics. And now in this phase have brought in some really amazing people to have these conversations with us. So all of that is surprising. I'm not surprised by how much fun I'm having with you two. Not surprised by that at all. The first time the three of us got together, for the listener, Lee is the hinge, right? Lee knows me through some friends in Memphis, Charles McKinney in particular, and she knows Rick outside of that. From the bar? From the bar. From the bar. He's just a random guy on a stool. You know, she said, hi, could you pass the peanuts? That's
0: how most people know Rick.
2: He's the guy who would pass
1: the peanuts to you at the bar.
2: He serves his purpose.
1: And I looked over and said, I've been looking for a fast-talking dame with nice gams.
2: <laughs> you know, we just fused. It, it was like all three of us had been in this relationship with each other for years. The organic, the natural, the seamlessness of our conversation and engagement. So, you know, this is bittersweet for me. And the big fear is halfway through the next season, I'm like, did I make a mistake?
0: <laughs> you did. You did. <laughs> yeah.
1: the, the answer is right. obviously yes. <laughs> Charles visited me several months ago in Chicago. And we were sitting on my deck, and we were drinking, and he had a cigar, and I was smoking as usual. And at one point, Charles looks over, and he's like, you know, this is the first time we've ever talked not online. (laughs) And yet, we're friends. And I was like, it is just so strange to think we weren't friends from grad school, or we weren't friends, you know, for 20 years or something, that somehow this emerged just doing this and our conversations around this. And so that, I think, is a good indication of what Charles was pointing out. Meeting you in real life was really important, because I was afraid I was getting um, catfished.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I had to make sure that who you presented to me was the actual person that you are. Just, you know.
0: I think that in our normal day-to-day <laughs> lives, even our very good friends, we don't talk to as much as Charles and Rick and I talk to yeah. each other for this podcast. And that's not including all the times that we talk and text with each other Outside of actually recording this podcast, that kind of constant contact really does establish deep and abiding cores to our friendship that are hugely important. And, you know, honestly, you'd be the first two people I'd call if I needed bail money. (laughs) There you go. You know what? Call me before you get to that point. I'll keep you from getting caught.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Just quickly, Del McWhorter, who we had on the podcast She and her wife, Carol, were once having this conversation about friendship, and Carol said, I think a friend is someone who you could call if you have a body on your hands. (laughs) (laughs) And Del said, I'd call you, Rick. (laughs) Charles, this is your last episode, and again, Lee and I don't want to say forever, we don't want to say you're quitting, but let's just say this is your last episode with us as you go on hiatus. You're still going to be involved in the podcast behind the scenes and supporting us, and we have some special things in the works also for people who are Patreon supporters but with the kind of regularity we've shared, I was wondering, is there anything you'd like to say to our audience in this moment? To the audience, I would say, well, first of all, thank you for walking
2: with us along the 60-episode road. Going back to the last segment's question, what has been surprising? What's been surprising is that so many people have invested in us, have spent time listening to us, have said really generous, beautiful things to me, the listeners that I know personally. And what we've seen online in terms of Twitter and Facebook. So thank you all for paying attention to us, taking us seriously, and also taking us not seriously. (laughs) I think that's the secret sauce of this podcast. We we may be silly as people, but the thoughts we think and the things we believe in are not silly.
1: Mm, Nicely put.
2: If you're like me, you will see that what the podcast is, is what I believe philosophy is, which is philosophy as a verb. Mm. Not a noun, not necessarily a set of beliefs, not even a particular methodology. But it is the act of thinking, of questioning, proffering answers, having those answers questioned, and just moving along that path that takes you to a place that's understandable and accessible to everyone. So this is it. This is pure philosophy. And I want to thank Lee and I want to thank Rick for allowing me to participate with them. It's been a great time. I will continue to work in support behind the scenes of the podcast. But I feel good with the things we've done. It's been a remarkable journey.
0: It really has been a remarkable journey, and we're so glad to know that Charles is still going to be on the team going forward. But Rick, I want to give you a chance to say a few words about Charles and his impact on you and this podcast and what we're going to miss about him.
1: What I will miss the most, and this goes directly to impact, is that Charles has forced me a little bit out of my metaphysical slumber into thinking about practical and particularly political needs that our society has right now that maybe I can bring my metaphysical outlook to bear on, but I also need to force my metaphysics out of a certain level of abstraction. Mm -hmm. The other impact that Charles has had on me, both personal and also philosophical, is the understanding of the ways in which Structures, particularly structures of domination, even though they are not individually intended and individually produced, there's no need for a meeting of, let's say, all white men to get together and say, hey, you know, this is what we're going to do. They strike individuals on the other end of that structure of domination. And to see the individuality of those structures is something that I'm incredibly thankful for Charles to continue to point out and force me to keep in the front of my mind. I feel as if I have
2: turned you on your head, (laughs) akin to how Marx turned Hegel upon his. But I'm just,
1: I'm not claiming any special talent or anything like that. I'm just, it just feels familiar. That's right. You pointed out the essential kernel of the truth. <laughs> Lee, what about you? What would you like to say to the audience and to Charles in this moment?
0: Well, I'd like to say to Charles and the audience that I have learned so, so, so much from Charles about, as I mentioned before, superheroes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> vulgarity, style, healthy optimism, and healthy pessimism but also belief in things not seen and disbelief mm. in things that I think I see or I think I see coming. You know, Charles, we're in some ways stylistically and attitudinally different. Your conversational style is loose and flexible and deeply curious. And as Rick mentioned before, expansive. And mine is you know, far more reliant on axioms and definitions and outlines. (laughs) But I think that we're both always aiming to discover something true. You know, I once described the difference between me and you in this way, that I march to the truth and Charles saunters to it. (laughs) But over the last four seasons, you've really been a breath of fresh air to this podcast. You were central in establishing our identity as a philosophy podcast for everyone. And one of the things that I love most about you is that you really believe that philosophy has got to get out of the ivory tower and into the streets, or in the case of this podcast, into the earbuds. <laughs> if we can introduce complex philosophical concepts in a way that is not reliant on jargon, that is not condescending, That does not assume that the person who just sat down at the bar beside us not only can understand but wants to understand, well, then, you know, we might as well just hang up our regalia and go home. So I 100% agree with Charles on all of that. Now. That's not to say that we haven't disagreed about a lot of things over the past oh, four yeah, yeah, years. Yeah. <laughs> both on oh, there, this, this has been
2: a family in every sense of that <laughs> yeah, word. Yeah, yeah, For good or bad, yeah. Siblings, the whole
0: yeah. Shit. Both on there and off there. You know, we're uh, Charles. You and I were both strong-headed. Yeah. We're both loud, and in our weaker moments, we can both be very strongly uncompromising. <laughs> I had noticed, <laughs> but but I think that we both understand that disagreement all by itself doesn't constitute disrespect, that friendship abides, that undertaking meaningful projects together is one of the most important things that makes us human, and that a joke and a drink, you know, laughter and alcohol, <laughs> greases a lot of wheels. <laughs> and, and and maybe most importantly, that there's something quite special about the love we have for another person's mind. And mm. Charles, I do love your mind. So, Charles, you've been a fantastic interlocutor, a serious thinker, a steadfast comrade, and a fucking hilarious and kind and loyal friend. And I hope you know you will always have a seat at the hotel bar with us. I love you dearly, and I will miss having you on this podcast as a co-host. But in the immortal words of Rick Astley...
1: <laughs> We're going to Rickroll the audience.
0: <laughs> hey, listeners, we've got three quick asks from your hosts here at Hotel Bar Sessions. First, if you haven't done so already, make sure that you're subscribed to this podcast on whatever platform that you listen to podcasts. Second, hop on over to Twitter and make sure that you followed Hotel Bar Podcast there. We're at Hotel Bar Podcast. And you can find the Twitter handles of all three co-hosts in the bio there. And third, and probably most importantly, we would really appreciate it if you could recommend us to your friends and share our podcast posts on your social media. Now back to the conversation.
1: This is the last episode that Charles is going to record with us. And obviously, we cannot replace Charles. Mm-hmm. We've talked about various ways in which we could go forward with various people and so on. And we can announce today that starting in season six of the podcast, we will be joined by a third host to keep the trio together. And that host will be Jason Reed, former guest on the podcast. Yay! For the listener, you can't see that Charles is raising his arms in celebration. That doesn't (laughs) translate to audio.
0: So maybe, Charles, you want to give Jason Reed a few pointers?
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, the audience is in for an amazing experience. Uh, Jason Reed is an old friend and colleague of mine from grad school. He's a brilliant thinker, fantastic conversationalist. He has an experience. Bands of sense of the mundane and the esoteric. He's got one of the best and dry sense of humor you're ever going to hear. Yeah. And I would say, Jason, just keep being you and know when people are just fucking with you. If you know that, then you'll be all right with these two, because they're a couple of wise asses,
0: but they got good hearts. <laughs>
1: Well, Lee and I, as sad as we are to say goodbye to Charles as a podcast co-host, let me be clear again, just as a podcast co-host. He's still on the team. He's still on the team and we still love him. But we are also excited about starting our work with Jason and we're already planning the next season. So stay tuned for more things to come from Hotel Bar Sessions Now with Jason Reed. And for the listener, just like I will
2: continue to support the podcast from behind the scenes, I encourage you to continue to support the podcast by joining us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash hotel bar sessions and contribute at whatever level you feel most enthusiastic or comfortable with contributing. We prefer enthusiastic. That's right. We prefer enthusiastic. (laughs) So for the last time, I will give Noelle a tip for her amazing service this past season. And I will call the final cab for me. Anybody need a ride?
0: Hell yeah. Why would we miss the last ride with you?
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's been great. Love you both. This is absolutely a fantastic experience. I will savor it forever. Love
0: you so much, Charles.
1: Love you too, Charles.